Hey guys, welcome back to the Honor of Kings podcast. This is Lee, and we are uh, starting our new series, Delivering the Remnant. Um, this will be the first trumpet. Um, I'm naming this series Delivering the Remnant because, as we discussed in the last episode, trumpets and introduction, um, that the trumpets are happening at the altar of incense, and they represent judgment that God is bringing on the enemies of his people based on their prayers at that altar, right? And so every one of the trumpet judgments is a way to deliver God's people from the hands of their enemies and help them advance to their next stage, help them help the remnant church move forward. So again, this is going to be called delivering the remnant, and this is the first trumpet. And it would seem, based on the response I got out of the, the introduction episode, that people are pretty interested in the trumpets. Um, <clears throat> and a little side note here, my uh, I'm expecting to probably get a bunch of text messages and stuff, which I seem to not be able to silence when I'm doing these episodes. And uh, some of you have heard me talk about my mighty Detroit Lions in the past. And um, for those of you in other countries, whatever, that's our professional football team in Detroit. And I've been a fan for many decades. And we, for 30-some years, have failed to win a playoff game. And last night, um, after winning the division, which they've also failed to do for 30 years, um, they went ahead and won a playoff game. So it's pretty exciting for me and uh, my family and friends. And I've been getting a lot of text messages over that. So I just want to point that out, that that's probably going to be happening. <clears throat> so we get a word of prayer, and then we will get into the first trumpet. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today, and we thank you for this time to study and this time to fellowship with other people all over the world. Father, the trumpets are a very confusing uh, topic for many people. And we just ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit be with us to guide us, guide my speaking, and help the people listening to understand and follow along and learn what your trumpets are about. And um, this has been an ongoing process of trying to help people be able to understand Daniel and Revelation and how they fit together, Father. And uh, we couldn't do this without your guidance and without your participation, and we can't understand it without the Holy Spirit being with us, Father. So we just ask that you bless this episode and bless our listeners. And uh, as always, Father, we thank you for the word that you left, for the for the mercy and the grace and the love that you've showed us to leave this wor uh, word here as a light in the darkness of this world that we can know the truth. So when there's people standing on, uh, standing at podiums and on YouTube and on TikTok and on all these crazy different media sources that are telling us falsehoods, you have left one steadfast thing in our life that we can go to to know the truth, and that is the Bible. The 66 books, Father, and we thank you for that, that you've left it here intact and in perfect shape in the King James, that we can know what the truth actually is, and we can follow it as long as we apply ourselves to it father so i ask that you give us all everyone listening and those that aren't listening that are out there that that love jesus but are caught up in the wrong cycles and the wrong understandings we just ask that you pour out a hunger on us father that we will hunger your word and that we will crave it every day and then we'll get into it and we'll diligently work and seek your truth father and we thank you in the mighty and holy name of jesus amen
Oh, my computer shut down on me here. Oh, here we go. All right, guys, are we ready for the first trumpet? And again, you'll recall that in the last episode, in the uh, if you listen to the introduction to the trumpets, that Revelation 8 starts with the last seal, right? And we explained all of that. So the the first trumpet actually kicks in at Revelation 8, verse 3, and that's where we will start today. So Revelation 8, 3 in Scripture says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. And there were voices, thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So that's an awful lot of stuff right here. Um, We see right off the bat that um, this is happening at the altar of incense. We discussed that in the in the intro episode, but the golden altar, the four-horned altar, or the altar of incense in this case. And for more information about this piece of furniture, we have we had covered that in the last series about the sanctuary, Daniel's 2300-day prophecy. So if you want to know more about the sanctuary furniture, like the altar of incense here, you can go back also and listen to that. Um, and, and there's quite a bit of information there. Um, so and we've already said Revelation is about a church history, right? Um, it chronicles the start of the church, Pentecost, through to uh, Christ's second advent is what Revelation does for us. And it's important to understand that. So who was the first church listed in Revelation? It was Ephesus. This is the first apostolic church and that therefore represents the first apostolic church age. It's also um, the white horse, the white horseman from uh, seal one in Revelation six. Um, not that seal is not an antichrist. It is additional information about the church of Ephesus. So how do we know then, besides the sanctuary imagery, that this trumpet is related to the first church? And that's because the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it into the earth where there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Um, now, first, that that verse tells us that we are here in the first church age, Pentecost, right? And we're going to explain that. We're going to break that down right now. Because he filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth, and there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. So, where do we find voices, thunderings, and lightnings? These are associated with the throne of God. Revelation 4 5 says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. Revelation 5 6. Uh, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven heads and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. 
Um, Jesus has already died for us based on this imagery as a slain lamb, right? Now these seven spirits are being sent forth into all the earth. So Jesus, what happens? Jesus is crucified. Jesus resurrects. And then Jesus appears to people and then ascends up into heaven saying that the helper will come, that the Holy Spirit will come. So this is talking about Pentecost. These seven spirits coming down are Pentecost. Um, now you'll recall that we said fire represents, you know, what we said last season, the fire represents, it's the Holy Spirit, right? So what does casting it to earth and the trumpets mean to us? Again, it is casting the Holy Spirit to earth. It's the day of Pentecost. It was the early rain, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And see, and notice this happens as the saints are praying in verse 4. The disciples were waiting in prayer in the upper room when it happened. Um, and Pentecost happened to start the first apostolic church era. So you'll recall in our Beasts from the Earth series, he will call fire down from heaven. The false prophet or America's apostate Protestantism um, will and currently is counterfeiting Pentecost with a false Holy Spirit uh, uh, movement, I would say, um, or calling the fire down from heaven. They're counterfeiting what happened at Pentecost. Um, that's why you will all also notice that some of these pit of hell churches like Bethel have people on stage calling themselves apostles and some prophets. Um, and you can learn more about that in our false prophet series from season one. But this fire from heaven is fire. You know, when the, when they're in there praying, waiting on the Holy Spirit, it appeared above them like cloven tongues of fire, right? So that being sent down the seven spirits, the seven spirits of God is the Pentecost happening. And now our false prophet churches are faking this uh, Holy Spirit movement and naming themselves apostles and, and uh, prophets because when it happened the first time, they were what? Apostles that were getting hit with this, right? So they're acting like they're doing it for a second time, but that's getting off on a on a tangent that I don't need to do right now. So let's look at that fire cast down the voice of thunderings, lightning, and an earthquake in Acts 2.1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were um, all with one accord in one place. When we see they were all with one accord, that typically means they were in a congregation. That means in a service. Usually when they use that, that term, they are in worship mode or prayer, or something like that. This is usually a religious activity in one accord in one place. Uh, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we have the fire being the Holy Spirit. Now, Acts 2, 5. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak his own language. Um, and so what I got to note here, applied to verse 4 just before it, the voices are a 
the gift of tongues powered by the Holy Spirit, which is the fire. So there's your voices. John 12, 28. The Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore stood by and heard it and said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to them. So the thunderings are the voice of God. You hear that? The thunderings are the voice of God. Matthew 28, 3. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. So this is talking about angel. Angels are ministering spirits, right? Um, Acts 5, 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Um, so this lightning is the appearance of God. The thunderings is the voice of God. And we hear and we see that there are angels during the apostolic time that are actually intervening in the affairs of the apostles as well. So that ties this into this whole Pentecost idea that these these angels, you see them with the lightning, but then you see them helping, releasing apostles from prisons and and doing little things to help them along their way um let's see acts eight twenty seven. and the angel of the lord spake unto philip saying arise and go towards the south under the way that goeth down from jerusalem unto gaza which is desert um they also directed the apostles the apostles at times. Now the angel of the Lord is of course Jesus, and he appears to Paul on the ship headed to Rome as well. So lightnings are ministering angels, again assisting the apostles, or the appearance of God himself in the form of Jesus, or Michael, the angel of the Lord. That's right, Michael. Not a created being. Michael is Christ when he is in the form of the angel of the Lord. The difference between an angel of the Lord is just a created being, a messenger. But the angel of the Lord, when we see in scripture, is referring to Christ. So the name that he has in that time is Michael. And I know people get all bent out of shape about it. We've talked about that a million times. But Michael is the angel of the Lord. And so the lightnings are representing this. Let's see. Acts 4.31. Um, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake with the word of God with boldness. Hmm. They prayed, the place was shaking where they were assembled together. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. An earthquake and the word of God. Psalm 68, 8, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. So this is, this earthquake represents the presence of God. Um, it did on Sinai, and it will again when Christ returns. So notice when um, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God in Acts 4, 31, and then the, pre the direct presence of God in Psalm 68, 8, this, this earthquake represents his presence. So in, in that Acts 4.31, the Holy Spirit being filled is God's presence as well, right? Um, so here we go. So the fire, voices, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake all represents God's power 
poured out on the earth. Power that was around his throne before he cast it down at Pentecost. Again, Revelation is re- written and repeated in the large. Um, it sounds, or it's just like the Gospels. It keeps telling the same story, but with different details. Many already call it the fifth Gospel. The difference here being the Gospel tell of Christ's life. Uh, Revelation starts after his earthly life uh, and tells the story of the church. So the trumpets are, in fact, following along with the churches and seals. Revelation is not saying first comes the churches and then he's going to start cracking seals open and then he will start blowing trumpets. No, the first church is the first seal is the first trumpet. They go together. The second church is the second seal is the second trumpet. They go together and so forth. I know I keep repeating that uh, in this episode, the last episode, so forth, but it's just important to get this Correct. This is not written in a linear fashion where, you know, you go to page one and you're progressing in a straight line through history of what's going to happen. No, it starts over and it repeats, but it gives you more. As you go to different chapters, it starts over and you go back to the the churches, but you start getting more detail about what's going on. Um, Let's see here. um, And, you know, of course... There are other little things that connect this trumpet to the um, Pentecost time. Um, So we're going to look at another little link in Acts 2. Um, This is just after the the apostles are baptized with the Holy Spirit and are speaking in tongues. They're being mocked as... uh, as drunkards and and so forth by the onlookers. So Acts 2.14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, so he's pointing us to Joel during the events of Pentecost. And we'll get to that in a second, but let's just finish up with Peter here. So Acts 2.17 continues, And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall, men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Um. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Okay, so here's a little tidbit. This is Peter. Now he's talking at Pentecost, and he's referring us back to Joel. Right now, he's already literally pointed out Joel, but in verse 20, it says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. This would be the second advent of Christ, his return. And here, the little factoid here is that the book of Joel is the first time chronologically that the day of the Lord is ever mentioned. Now, see, the book of Joel, there's a lot of second advent prophecy in the book of Joel. 
There's other prophecy too, but there is second coming prophecy there. And that's the first time the, the notable, uh, the day of the Lord is mentioned. So we have two verses in here that are pointing us to Joel. So Joel, we're not looking at, as much at the aspect of the people talking in tongues and being viewed as drunkards and pouring out the spirit. But Joel is talking about something else, too, that's going on with the people that he prophesies. And so in Joel 2, 1, he says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh. Okay, so we can't ignore Peter pointing us back to this, because it confirms that the beginning of the trumpet section is Pentecost. Now, for time's sake, we're not going to read all of Joel 2 either, um, or the rest of Peter's remarks. But Joel is blowing a trumpet or warning God's people that an army is coming to destroy them if they do not repent. In Joel's case, it was the Babylonians. They were coming to destroy people. Peter quoting him indicates that there is soon to be another army coming to do the same with the people uh, that are around Peter, you know, in Peter's time. Peter is blowing a trumpet of repentance and saying, believe on Christ, or a judgment is soon to befall you. And this is notable to understand when we see the first trumpet. Okay? Also note that when Jesus told everyone to gather and wait for the Holy Spirit, he insisted it be in Jerusalem. Why? Because Peter and the rest of them were to warn the people of impending doom, a judgment to come, and more specifically, an army to come. Okay? I've already said this. The trumpets are a warning and then a judgment against the enemy of God's people. The, pe the, the enemy that is holding God's church back, that is holding the remnant church, the true believers that are not apostatized or anything like that. These are the ones that are true believers. This enemy is holding them back. And these trumpet judgments are the answered prayers of the saints to remove the stumbling block to allow them to advance forward. So again, a judgment of an army to come. From past studies and all of our Daniel references that we've made throughout, we should already know who this army is. It's Rome. They're coming in 70 AD to destroy the temple and to destroy the city. So who is the actual enemy of God here who receives this judgment? We need to look at the state of God's people when Jesus was crucified and even after. God is, oh boy, I got stuff popping up. Hang on a minute. Okay, here we go. God is looking for reconciliation through a new covenant with Jesus. You know, just before Pentecost and all this, right? Well, even during Pentecost. Um, yet as Jesus walked among the Jewish people, they chose to have him killed. They even went as far as to tell Pilate that they have no king but Caesar. And so after rejecting Christ, they rejected his apostles. And three and a half years after Christ was crucified, which is in the midst of the prophetic 70th week in Daniel's prophecy, 
Stephen is stoned. The apostle Stephen is stoned in 34 AD. This is when the gospel was taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. This is when Paul is raised up to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This is when Peter sees a vision of a sheet and the unclean animals, and he is told to kill and eat, and he is instructed to go with three men out of Joppa to go to the Roman's house and baptize the Roman and all of his family and all their servants, the Gentiles. So this sets in motion the events prophesied by Jesus that not one stone will be left upon another. When that gospel is taken from the Jews, given to the Gentiles, they are cut off. The destruction of the city is now sealed. It's going to happen. It'll happen in 70 AD. They don't know the date, but it's going to happen. Um, And Jesus said there won't be one stone left upon another. So, um, in effect, Peter is warning of this judgment, which Jesus warned him of in Matthew 24, when asked about Jerusalem being destroyed and the signs of the end of the age. Um, Jesus, Peter, and in effect Joel, are all blowing the same trumpet. Um, Note 70-week prophecy, by the way, at the end of it, the Jews are cut off. This is 490 years when you consider the day-for-a-year principle. It's 70 weeks times 70 days, right? So check this out, Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So this is a direct and foreboding reference to Daniel's 70 week prophecy and a warning to God's people that their apostasy will not be forgiven after this 490 years. After the conclusion of the 70th week of this prophecy, their apostasy would no longer be acceptable. So after 34 AD, or at the end of the 70 weeks, which is 70 times 7, which is 490 years, his forgiveness, uh, forgiveness of their rejection would be removed, and there would be a consequence, a trumpet judgment, which would occur in 70 AD by the Romans led by Titus. So you say, well, this sounds like a punishment um, because they, they turned on God. Well, yes, but it's the prayers of the people because what is going on? Why are the Romans not the enemy, but the Jews are? Because the Jews in the Sanhedrin are still oppressing the apostles and the believers of Christ. They are still running temple services. They are still saying that people that are are doing the Christ thing need to be hunted down. They are still resisting Christ's growing church. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their temple system and all this stuff that they're doing. Now, mind you, the temple system is very important. It's important for us to understand, and Christ is in heaven right now, attending to the temple, the sanctuary, which is in heaven. But 
in this case, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and all this, they're still doing sacrifices. They're still doing the Mosaic laws and the stuff that had been nailed to the cross, not the Ten Commandments. We've talked about this. Those were not nailed to the cross. But the, the laws given to Moses that he was to write down himself, those were abolished. They're still keeping up with these things and telling the Christian people they need to do the same. So here we have the, basically the Sanhedrin is the enemy of God's people, which is holding them back. <clears throat> so, Revelation 8.6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So they've not sounded yet. Because Christ, in his mercy, still allows time for repentance. Now he knows that. You know, he knows what's going to happen, whether it's going to happen or not, but he still allows the time. That's why he's patient. He's long-suffering. He allows us time to get it right. Even if he knows we won't do it, he still affords us the time. He's merciful, and he is, he is justice, and he is love, right? So the trumpet, though... Uh, it brings judgment is a measure of mercy huh? because there is a warning for, sorry, I just said that. So sometimes I, I get uh, going off the cuff and then sometimes I go back to my notes and then repeat myself. So um, eight, uh, Revelation 8, 7, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and a third part of the trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. Okay, so he gave them time. There was repentance time. They didn't do it. Now it's time for the judgment. Okay, 8-7 shows us the trump has been sounded. Judgment time. So in Isaiah 28-2, okay, well, first of all, understand we're in prophecy now. We're dealing with symbolo uh, symbology that we have to decipher. So we know... That in a normal, of course, all things in, in God are possible, but just in normal general life, we know that fire and hail are not uh, cooperating items. They're not going to coexist. So in Isaiah 28, 2, behold, the Lord, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which is as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. So hail is used to talk about God's destroying judgment. Um, but I would say it's overwhelming, fierce, unstoppable, as it's likened to a, dis a tempest and a destroying storm, right? So the hail is used as a destroying judgment. Job uh, 38 22 through 23, hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? So hail is also used in the time of war, uh, and as a fierce, destroying judgment. So what judgment again came after Peter warned everyone? The Romans under Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., they burnt everything down with fire. Many on both sides were killed. There's the blood. And the temple was destroyed. Now, fire can mean different things. Um, and we've, you've heard me talk a whole bunch of times that fire means Holy Spirit. But it can also mean destruction or purification. In a judgment scenario, God's destruction is a purifying act for the remnant that he always reserves. So you have to view it in context. 
Single verse theology can't save you here. You have to decipher the fire within the context of what's being discussed to determine what the meaning is. Okay? So, we got war, destruction, battle, nah, 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 nah. This fire is destruction. So, Matthew 7, 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So here, again, fire is destructive. Every good tree, and we know that trees represent people. It says a third part of the trees in the grass were burned up. Um, you know, numbers can get a little funny in Scripture uh, in times, but in prophecy, they have a meaning that's not really numerical. For instance, we discussed last season Psalm saying the, uh, the Lord's law would last a thousand generations. And we show that that likely means forever, not a thousand literal years. Um, so it's my position, uh, and always context matters. One third has a cryptic meaning, right? I think we've discussed this before, but let's hit it again real fast. Revelation twelve three, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child child as soon as it was born. So we have a third of the stars falling from heaven. So let's get a little um let's get a little more reference on that. Revelation twelve nine. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So um, you will see in Scripture many, 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 many times that stars and angels are equated together. Angels are oftenly referred to as stars in prophetic verses. And here we have, um, when you compare Revelation 12.3 to 12.9, we are being shown that who was cast out of heaven, the stars from 12.3, are the same as the angels from 12.9. So these are fallen angels. These are fallen angels that are kicked out of heaven, one-third of them. Why were they kicked out of heaven? For apostasy. So when we see the number one-third, you know, one-third of something in um, prophetic events, we can come back to this and understand that that one-third is uh, representative of apostasy. Now, it's also interesting to note that you can connect the number 13 um, with rebellion. And Satan rebelled. These angels rebelled against God, right? And we see 13 is the number of rebellion. We see rebellion first in uh, Genesis 14, where it says, In 12 years they served Ketelamer, and the 13th they rebelled. So... Um, there's a whole bunch of words in, um, I have a little fun with numbers episode planned, but there's, there's a whole bunch of, uh, words and sayings that come out to 13 that, uh, indicate antichrist and, and various other things. So, um, this one third or even 13, it means apostasy. It means rebellion against God. Okay. Um, let's see. So back to the trees, one-third of them, right? Luke 23, 31. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? 
Jesus is referring to himself as the green tree, the tree full of life. Daniel 4.20, the tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto heaven in the sight thereof of all the earth. Daniel's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, likened to a tree. Luke 3.9, and now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Um, John the baptizer warning, uh, trumpet warnings that people who do not accept the new covenant will come to destruction. Um, let's see, Ezekiel twenty forty six. Son of man, set thy face towards the south and drop thy word towards the south and prophesy against the forest of the south field. And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in thee, and it shall devour every green tree in thee, and every dry tree. The the flaming flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be burnt therein. So this fire burning, this forest, represents God's judgment of his own people. A tree is a person. A forest is a group of people or a nation or, you know, so forth. So, um, you know, there's other stories. You have the blind man who receives his sight and sees people who look like trees walking around. You have the myrtle trees in Zechariah that represent people in the church. Um, So we got one third of, of trees which is one-third of is apostasy, and these trees are representing people. So the one-third of these trees being burned up are the apostate Christians who are holding back our remnant church, our good church. Um, Isaiah 40, verse 7, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. So here we have it directly from Isaiah 47. Surely the people is grass. So when the grass is burned up, this is people as well. Psalm 92, 7, when the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be it is that they shall be destroyed forever. So let's tie it together. We're at the candlestick. We have the church of Ephesus. Revelation 2, 2, and unto the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou uh, hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for thy name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art falling, and repent, and do the uh, first works, or else I will come to thee and quickly remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So there you have the church of Ephesus, right? 
Let's look at Revelation 6-2, the seal that goes with this. And I saw him behold a white horse, and he sat on him, uh, he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So in Ephesus, we see the first apostolic church. They have clung to the word of God. They have rooted out false teachers and resisted their influences. They have patience, which translated means the steadfastness of martyrs. Um, means they defended Christ even to the death when necessary. They hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. In other words, the deeds of apostates. Um, they started to slip and became a little bit works-oriented. We see throughout the Bible with God's people, they go through stages. Um, the generations, where we see this over and over in the Old Testament. You know, they start out, they're obedient. Then they become compromising. Then they become idolaters or apostates. And then God brings a judgment, keeps a remnant, pulls the remnant out of the judgment at the end. They're obedient. And then as time goes, they become compromisers. And as time goes on further, they become outright idolaters. It's a cycle. Solomon tells us there is nothing new under the sun. It's already happened. This continues to happen throughout history. It's the way we are. It's the way they were. It's the way everybody is. As time wears on, for most of us, you know, our our faith, our strength, our loyalty gets weakened. It gets compromised by things in the world around us. We start sliding away. It's what you see in our churches today. Um, a ton of compromise. Some of them are idolatry are are, are idolatrous, but most of our Protestant churches now are, are heavy compromisers, and um, you can't miss it. If you're reading scripture and really breaking things down, you can't walk into these churches now and not see it. Um, uh, let's see. So here we have, though, with this church, there is a little compromise coming in, and the works are starting to come before other things. Um, we see this in the they left their first love part. So their first love was Christ and, and being, but, but now they're kind of turning from their prayer as much, their scripture as much. Now they're worried about feeding the poor, um, you know, doing all these, these works out in the community. And they're not focused on the number one thing, which is Christ. Now they're focusing on the works instead of Christ. Um, in the white horse seal, um, in our Revelation study, season one, um, you can learn more about the Church of Ephesus in regards to the horseman part. Um, let's see. We see a church taking God's word to the world in the in the seal. This is a bow. The, the Greek word for this is toxon. The root of it means to produce from seed. So the gospel message is seed being planted by the disciples in the church of Ephesus in this seal judgment, right? They're going out. They're spreading the word of God. Remember, the seals are all about the word of God because the seals happen at the table of showbread. The crown they're given is a victor's crown. It's the Greek Stephanos. That's, um, that's what you get when you make it to heaven. Um, it's not a, a conqueror's crown. It's not a... 
um, ruler's crown. It's a victor's crown. It's for running a race. It's a laurel wreath crown. Paul's always saying that we need to finish our race with Christ. Keep running it. We'll never really get to the finish line until he takes us home. But we have to keep continuing to be more and more like Christ and run this race day after day after day. Continue to run the race. And that's when we get the laurel wreath crown at the end because we finished racing when Christ takes us, right? Um, let's see here. It's, so the going out to conquer and to conquer is all about saving souls. It's evangelizing. It's uh, bringing new people into the church with the gospel message, conquering hearts through Christ. But as we know, the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and Pharisees were hardened to Christ. They hunted those that would follow the way or Christianity. They resisted all who would follow Christ. They were the obstacle this trumpet was warning of. This was the obstacle that Christ was to remove to allow his church to move forward. As a result, Titus would sack the city, destroy the temple, and again, we're at the altar of incense where prayer happens. These trumpets, this trumpet, was the answer to the prayers of God's oppressed remnant church to help them move forward. So I kind of feel like I got a little choppy in this, but as you look at the, as, remember, as we said in the introduction, the high priest comes into the holy place where you have the, the candlestick, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. The priest deals with these article furnitures in a daily service. So they're congruently or simultaneously being attended to by the priest. So that means that, one, Christ is up there attending to these right now, and we here on earth, spiritually in our sanctification process, are to be attending to all three. We are to be a light of the world, and we are to be ministering to people and, and so forth every day. We are to be in our word and reading scripture every day. We are to be in prayer and supplication to God every day. We're supposed to be doing these things every day. But it also shows us, again from the introduction, that because these things are ministered at the same time daily, that when we read Revelation and we see one thing happening at the candlesticks, then we see Jesus is now from the candlesticks, he's gone to the table of showbread, and from the table of showbread, he's gone to the altar of incense, that we know that all three of these things are happening simultaneously, congruently. They're happening at the same time. So first, uh, first church, first seal, first trumpet go together. In Ephesus, Happens after Pentecost, the apostles are raised up. They go out, they start building new churches, you know, starting new churches throughout the, the Holy Land and Turkey and Greece and other places. They're out there spreading the word of God. They're the white horse. Um, so they are um, using the word of God to bring in new souls. That's what the 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 bow, the toxin to produce from seed. They are going out and they are planting the seeds of Christ from the gospel message throughout this Mediterranean world and bringing in new converts, conquering hearts and minds to Christ. But 
One, they're starting to become a little works-oriented, which will lead us into the second church era. But they also are opposed. They are oppressed by the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin. And so they want to move forward freely without, you know, attacks, without persecution and all these other things. And as they are diligently and humbly and fiercely out there doing God's work, they're praying, Lord, help make a way for us, make a way for us that we can get past these religious authorities and be able to move forward and grow this church even more. And this is what happens. So God blows the trumpet. He's got Peter. He's got the other apostles. He had Stephen out there who gets stoned and kicks it all off. Warning, this is what you people are doing. You're outside the will of God. And you must repent and accept Christ. And they won't do it. And so that warning message is out there. That trumpet is blown by these people. And their their hardened hearts would not accept this. So... God, in his infinite wisdom, used an enemy, which he often does. He uses an enemy of our enemy to be our friend. And so he brings in Titus and the Romans, and they destroy everything. And that frees the Christians from the yoke of the Sanhedrin and this temple service. And this stuff that's going on. So hopefully this made sense to everybody. That is the first trumpet. That is the judgment on the enemies of the church of Ephesus. Next we'll go to Smyrna. And we'll see the red horse and the second trumpet. So that is all. Thank you guys for participating in this episode. Uh, Everybody have a great blessed day. Keep studying, dig into everything we said. Remember, I'm not a teacher. I'm just sharing my Bible study with you. And this is to point you into your Bible so you can review the things that I have said and determine whether it's correct or not through the help of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's it. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, Also, I have to say it. Go Lions! Forward down the field, a charging team that will not yield. Down the field and score a Lions victory. Go Lions! Say, guys, love you, man. See ya.